described in Revelation as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus is right now enthroned on high, seated in heavenly places far above all rule and authority. He is high and lifted up. He is the name above all names. He is the highest king and he upholds the whole universe by the word of his power. Jesus is king and the kingdom is the manifestation of the royal rule and reign of Christ. This is not mere theological musing, this is spiritual reality. Many have encountered Jesus and the Father on their thrones of glory. The prophet Daniel saw the Ancient of Days in heaven being ministered to by thousands upon thousands of angels. Isaiah was taken into heaven and saw the Lord high and lifted up, exalted on his throne, and fiery angels touched Isaiah's lips with a hot coal, and he was undone. Ezekiel had open visions of heaven, saw the four living creatures and the cherubim and the king sitting on a throne of fire. It left him utterly overwhelmed. He sat down with the other exiles by the river Kiba for seven days, unable to even speak. As Stephen was being stoned to death, he gazed into heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He should have been consumed with terror. He was about to be murdered, but instead he was in perfect peace. His face was shining as he looked up to the shining one in heaven. The apostle John got taken into heaven and saw Jesus as king, his eyes blazing with fire, his feet like burnished bronze, his voice like many waters, and his face shining with the brilliance of the sun, and John fell down at his feet as though dead. These experiences were real. Jesus is real, his presence is real, his power is real, his glory is real, his fire is real, the angels are real, his crown is real, the throne is real, and Christ is sat upon it right now in power and glory in the heavenly realms. And he's the one who said to us while he walked the earth, seek the kingdom of God. Seek my kingdom. And we seek the kingdom by pursuing the presence of the king. It often starts with worship. We seek him in worship. And when we go deep enough in worship, it brings us into a glimpse of the majesty of the king. Scripture says that God inhabits the praises of his people. As we worship the king, his throne and his kingdom start to be made manifest in our midst. I was here a few months ago at an Arise event and the worship was really beautiful and really deep. And as we worshiped, I opened my eyes and I saw an enormous crown coming down from heaven, down into the center of the church and resting on the head of Jesus. We were crowning the king with our praise. And the Holy Spirit showed me that as we adore him, we adorn him. As we exalt him, his presence, his royalty, his throne starts to come down amongst us. My challenge tonight to every one of this is this. Go deeper in worship. Set 
your heart to pursue the presence of the King. And as part of our worship, we're to offer him the entirety of our lives. Jesus is our friend, but he's also our king. And we have to apprehend him as king. If we try to embrace him as friend while resisting him as king over our affairs, then we don't really know him. We've strayed from apostolic and heavenly reality. Those who love him as friend obey him as king. We are to surrender all we have to the king. Do we seek his will be done in every part of our lives? What we study, where we will live, how we will spend our time, what career we will pursue. Is that still in your hands or have you placed it in the hands of the king? As Hudson Taylor once said, if Christ is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. There is a primacy to this call. Similar passages in the other gospels say, seek first the kingdom of God. We must seek first the face of the king above any and every earthly consideration, his heart, his ways, his wisdom, his glory, his holiness, his presence. And when our eyes are fixed upon the king and his kingdom, then everything else starts to fade away. We will worry less and less about material things, about clothes and food and drink, the things mentioned in this passage or their modern equivalent, because we will be consumed with the beauty and the presence of the king. When our eyes are upon him, they won't be on the things of this world and they won't need to be because the king himself will take care of us. As we let material things go, we often receive them back from God's hands. Paradoxically, the more we let go, the more secure we are. But anything we try to hold on to will eventually fall through our hands like sand. Let's attach our faith to the promise in this passage. Seek the kingdom of God and all things will be added unto you. Why? Because true riches are found in the presence of the king. And when we attend to the king, he attends to us. When we touch his throne, then who he is will start to touch our lives in ever greater measure. The king will always provide. See how he provided for the Israelites as they wandered in the desert for 40 years. During that period of time, the entire nation, hundreds of thousands of people were supernaturally provided for. Manna every morning, their clothes never wore out, water from the rock, all their needs were met and we're promised in scripture God will supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. King David recognized this and said, I have never seen the righteous or their children begging bread. The Israelites got their needs met. They didn't get all they wanted and they grumbled about it and it kept them in the desert for longer than necessary but their needs were met and eventually they were led by God into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, a land of abundance, an oasis. Their scouts had previously explored the valley of Eskol which had giant figs and clusters of grapes that were so large they had to be carried on poles and God told the Israelites that if they obeyed him, if they made him king over their affairs then they would be blessed greatly in the land. All things would be added unto them. 
In fact, all of the following blessings were promised to the Israelites in Deuteronomy. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and you will be blessed when you go out. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he's given you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. What a picture of abundant blessing. This was the heart of the king towards his child, Israel, a nation he saw as royalty, a nation described by Isaiah as a crown of splendor, a royal diadem in the hand of God. They were royalty and the king was rich towards them. You may have experienced different seasons in your own life. Sometimes it may feel like you're going through a desert. At other times you may experience a place of great abundance. But God is with us in every season and he will guide us into every promise over our lives. As scripture says, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart imagined the things God has prepared for those who love him. We will always have a king whose heart is rich towards us. And God's heart is rich towards all creation. Jesus tells us in this passage that God feeds the ravens. He even feeds the unclean. Even though they have no storehouses or barns, there's nothing wrong, of course, with storehouses or barns or bank accounts or pension pots. God even told the Israelites he would bless their barns from the barns of God himself in heaven. The problem is when we put our trust in what we have rather than who we have, the king above. Jesus goes on to say, consider the wild flowers or the lilies. Not even King Solomon with all of his wealth and glory was dressed like these flowers, yet how much more valuable are we than those flowers which fade away in a moment of time like grass in the fire? We have immense value to God, so we can trust him to take care of our needs. And if you're struggling with fear or worry, and we all do at times, then my advice is this. You can't defeat fear or worry by trying not to fear or worry. Fear is based on lies, and lies need to be displaced by truth. And this passage emphasizes it's the truth of who we are. We're told that we're more valuable than lilies or flowers despite their glory, why? Because we are children of God, royal children of the king. In Revelation, Jesus calls us kings and priests. Scripture says we're seated with Christ on the royal throne of David in heaven. Jesus came down from his throne so we could be raised up with him on his throne. He wore a crown of thorns so we could wear a crown of glory. He gave up his robe at the cross so we could be robed. Solomon had his royal robes, the lilies have their royal robes, but that's all just material clothing which passes away. We are clothed as royalty forever in the spiritual realm. We are clothed with the glory of God. We are temples of God's presence and we're meant to inhabit our crowns and wear our royal robes and know who
who we are. Jesus never worried about lack because he knew who he was. Kings don't worry about lack. And we have been made kings in the kingdom. It's really important to grasp this. Our identity does not go uncontested. There's a book called The Man in the Iron Mask, also a film, which tells the story of a French king who is kidnapped, thrown into a dungeon, and a man with identical looks to the king is put on the throne in his place. Meanwhile, the deposed king has an iron mask fixed permanently on his head, hiding his identity, and he's left to rot behind locked doors. The book's based on a true story. There really was a man in an iron mask, a high-ranking prisoner, trapped in that mask and held for 30 years in a series of French jails in the 17th century. And he was threatened with death if he ever revealed who he was. And when he died, everything that belonged to him was burnt. The walls of his prison cell were scrubbed clean in case he tried to leave a hidden message and pass on his real identity. He was completely whitewashed from history. Nobody still to this day has figured out who this man was. It was an identity theft. It's a really good picture of Satan's plan for us. He wants to take our crown, put an iron mask over our face, conceal our identity, and lock us in a dungeon. He wars against who we are. Don't let it happen. Know who you are. Break off the iron mask that would hide you and take your crown back. Because when you know who you are, you need never worry again about God's love, God's plans, or God's material provision for you ever again. It's interesting that King Solomon is mentioned in this passage because in some respects he embodies the truths within it. At the start of his reign, Solomon sought the kingdom of God. God appears to him in a dream and he says, ask me for whatever you want. And Solomon famously asks him for wisdom so he can rule the nation better. And in asking for the wisdom of God, he was really asking for the ways of God, the thoughts of God, the heart of God. He was seeking the kingdom of God. And God says, yes, I'll give you great wisdom. And because you asked for wisdom, I will also give you honor and wealth so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there be. And the word of the Lord came to pass. Solomon became profoundly wealthy. He built palaces and had thousands of servants. He lived in royal abundance. And scripture records that during his reign, silver and gold were as common as rocks. And people came from all over the world to hear Solomon, hear his wisdom, see his great wealth. Even the great queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon to glean from him. And scripture records that her breath was taken away by the riches that he had, breathtaking riches, breathtaking blessing and abundance. Solomon had sought the kingdom and in return, God blessed him with incredible favor and wealth. Now God was particularly generous to Solomon. I'm not suggesting that he wants to shower us with rubies, gold and diamonds. But I point out that he, his seeking of the kingdom did come with a reward. Why was Solomon given so much though? Well, I believe it's because he had the wisdom, he was given the wisdom to steward that wealth well. But Solomon would also need much of that wealth to build the temple and govern the nation. He was blessed with way more than he needed, but he did need 
much, there was purpose in his blessings. A heavenly mission will always be given heavenly provision. There's actually a wider connection in scripture between wisdom and favor. Solomon pursued wisdom and he was granted great favor and blessings. Scripture says Jesus himself grew in wisdom and favor. You grow in one, you increase in the other. Proverbs 8.25, for he who finds wisdom finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. You find wisdom, you get favor. Proverbs 14.35, the king's favor is towards a servant who acts wisely. If you want to enjoy the favor of the king, then seek his presence and seek his kingdom wisdom. This is what Solomon did. He was given great wisdom. And then what did he do after he became the wisest man on earth? The man with the greatest gift of wisdom any know. What was the first thing that he did? Scripture says he went immediately to the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem where the presence of God rested and he worshipped there. The first thing Solomon did as the wisest man on earth was to get into God's presence. The wisest thing you or I can ever do is to get into the presence of the king and worship him. The Ark of the Covenant where the presence rested had on its lid the mercy seat representing the throne in heaven. Where the throne is is his presence, where the presence is his throne is. And we are to pursue the presence of the king and let him be enthroned upon our hearts. Solomon grasped this. He stopped sacrificing wrongfully at the high places and he turned his heart towards the presence of God. He came before the throne of the king. And there he sacrificed great numbers of animals as offerings. God had been rich towards him and he was rich towards God. He was also rich towards others. Solomon says that, Scripture says that as he sought the presence of God that day, he gave a feast for all his court. And as the blessings of God flowed down to Solomon, the nation itself ate, drank, and was merry. The entire nation was blessed because Solomon sought the kingdom of God. This is the mindset of royalty, being rich towards God, being rich towards each other. If God blesses us with abundance, we are to use that to bless others. When the old widow gave her might in the temple, she may have been a poor, wizened old lady, but she was walking like a king. When the rich young ruler refused to give up his wealth when he was asked to by Jesus, he exposed himself not as royalty, but as a slave to his possessions, a slave to what he had in his barns. He didn't know his value to God. He thought his value was in what he possessed, which is why his possessions were able to possess him. Wealth isn't how much money you have in your bank account or your barn. It's an attitude of royalty, of generosity, and a confident expectation of the blessings of God. And one of the best ways of developing a mindset of royalty is actually learning to celebrate the blessings of others. It's very easy to feel insecure or threatened or jealous when others have something we want, whether materially, socially, spiritually. Gore Vidal said this, whenever a friend of mine succeeds, 
a little part of me dies. That's the mindset of a spiritual orphan. But when you know you're the child of a king, you can honor and celebrate the richness of the king towards others. And believe it or not, in my experience, that posture of the heart, that celebration of others, is exactly what positions you for your own increase of favor before God. Because you're thinking with your crown on, and life and blessings flow from honoring others. Solomon said to God in prayer, look how you blessed my father David. He didn't begrudge it, he celebrated God's blessing on his father. And from that place he said, now please also bless me. His prayer was answered many times over. And it's a great reminder that we have permission to ask God to bless us. So King Solomon is an inspiration and in some respects I feel embodies this passage, yet sadly, His story didn't end well. Later in life, Solomon started to turn away from God. He was seduced by his many foreign wives and their foreign gods. His heart was no longer fully devoted to the king above. John Piper wrote this, if you turn your back on the majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures. Things started to disintegrate for Solomon and he came under judgment and God told him that because of his sin, His son would lose most of the kingdom after him. Ten tribes would break away and the nation would be divided into two separate nations, Israel and Judah. So first Solomon's heart became divided and then the land became divided. Whatever we hold in our hearts for good or ill will find expression on the earth. We're called to have a heart of undivided devotion to the king. So let's seek first the kingdom of God. I'd like to invite the band up now. And I want to finish by sharing something God showed me as a fairly new Christian. I was sitting at the back of church one day and the Lord gave me a vision which was a replay of the final scenes in the book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. The four children had grown into adults in Narnia. They were kings and queens sitting on four royal thrones. And in the final scenes of the book, we see them as adults on horseback chasing a white stag. And a white stag, of course, is a symbol of royalty in many countries. And as they chase the white stag, they stumble upon the lamppost and they dismount and they walk back through the wardrobe. And immediately they were children again. And on earth in that old house, only a few seconds had passed. But in Narnia, years had gone by and they'd grown into maturity as kings and queens. And as this vision was being played out in front of me, the Lord said to me, pursue the white stag of my presence. Above everything else, pursue the white stag of my presence. Pursue the presence of God. Pursue the presence of royalty. And as we do that, then in no time on earth, we start to grow into maturity, into our royalty in the spiritual realm. Because when we focus on him, we start to reflect him. As we encounter his presence, we start to become who we're called to be. We start to inhabit our thrones, wear our robes, and wear the crowns that God has given us. And there will be no space for fear. Your crown will encircle your mind and protect your thinking. And all the provision you need will be unlocked as and when it needs to be. So this is my 
charge, my challenge to all of us tonight. Pursue the presence of the king. It's the wisest thing you could ever do.